and welcome to the Hoop Collective Podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Thursday afternoon. Joining us from New York City, wearing Utah Utes gear. Never seen that on you before, Tim Bontemps. I believe I've worn this exact same shirt on the pod before. My brother-in-law, big uh, big Utah Utes supporter. Well, anyway, it's good-looking gear. Joining us from Dallas, it Texas, where he's wearing, is that Stanford Cardinal gear? Yes, We've had this exact conversation on the pod before. I have no recollection. Zero. Brian, Brian, Zero point Brian once again, doesn't remember something. What a shock. Drink. Howdy. Partners, let me give a proper introduction. No, Bontemps got that Utah gear when he went to a football game where the Utes got their asses kicked this fall. That is correct. See, McMahon remembers. The USWB came to town and it was a bad, bad day for the Utes. Well, I'm just going to say that I've uh, I've been listening to some Stanford stories from I've been, I've been in L.A. the last two weeks from Chinea Gumuke. All kinds of Stanford stories. And there's some good Stanford stories out there. The none that I can tell, those are all her stories. Last night, I went to a press conference after the Clippers-Raptors uh, game with Kawhi mm-hmm. Leonard talking about a uh, brand-new three-year, $150 million contract. And guys, boy, was he excited. I've never seen somebody excited about signing a $150 million deal. But it was the, the Clippers, where they were in a good mood because they won. But the Clippers front office, there was lots of smiles. They were very happy about this contract and not so much about keeping Kawhi. I I don't think there was much doubt that Kawhi Leonard was going to remain a a Clipper. There may have been some doubt on some timing. Mm -hmm. The details of this contract are what's important, not only for now, not only for the Clippers, but potentially for other teams. So Kawhi Leonard, he was eligible to sign up to add four years to his contract to make it five years total. He, he already had one year on his contract. I know that everyone's pointing out it's a three-year deal, and it is, but he could have opted in. So he was already sort of under contract for one more year. He essentially added two years to his contract. And mm-hmm. let me just point out, Kawhi is 32. He is not 35 like James Harden. He is not uh, in, in, in jeopardy of reaching the over 38 rule with his contract, which limits how many years you can put on. He still took two more years only additionally to his contract. And when he was asked about it, he goes, well, I'll be 35. Uh, I don't know where I'm going to be health wise, which is like exactly what a team would say about a player. But typically a player who's 32 or 33 ish. Uh-huh. He's about to turn 33 later this year wants to get paid because he's not sure he's going to be 35. So get paid through 37. Secondly, I'm saying this about a player in his prime, who, by the way, is having a spectacular season. He took a contract that descends in value. Now, I'm not laying awake worrying about Kawhi Leonard because the the two new years on the contract really. Well, yeah, just to be clear, it might descend in value. It's it's probably going to be it probably will descend a little bit. It could go up slightly the second year, depending on where the cap lands. That's That's not. We got no, we got my that's not what my data shows. My data shows that the last two years of the contract are fifty million dollars flat. Right. Well, the first year depends on where the cap lands. So okay. if the cap goes to the full projection, then it will descend. If it if it comes in below that, it could be a little lower. That's all. I was just just in case it ends up a little okay. lower. All right, that's fine. All. I appreciate that. Thank you for doing that. It's it there's a strong likelihood that his salary is going to decrease. And then not only that, he doesn't have a raise in the contract. The contract's flat which is a very responsible thing to do with a player who's 34 with a, with a um, uh, history of injuries. But it's, it's unusual for a player to agree to that. So for the Clippers to get Kawhi to do this is to lock him in, but 
and by the way, no player option. He can't opt out of this deal. Like he has no way to end the deal early. He's now locked in. It's an extraordinarily good contract for the Clippers. And not only is it good for, for you know, just making sure you get your best player taken care of and locked up, but it sets the stage for how they're going to negotiate with James Harden and with Paul George. Paul George can extend now, and James Harden is going to be a free agent in the summer. And the intention, I believe, is to sign with the Clippers, renegotiate with the Clippers. But And the reason they're doing this is because they have to be careful with the new rules. This is the second apron rules. This is the, this is the Clippers trying to uh, manage what their options are going to be and manage their payroll going forward. But, you know, this is, I thought it was a, a, a landmark situation that could potentially trend set contracts going forward, Bontemps. I don't know if you agree with me, and certainly we need to see more things pass, but it was, and this is, again, Kawhi didn't have to sign this contract now. He could have waited until the summer. What if the Clippers get to the finals? He would have been in a much more command position. I thought it was extremely important the way the Clippers were able to structure this contract. I would say we should probably refrain from making sweeping judgments about the meaning of any single contract moving forward, right? Like there was a time when Donovan Mitchell and Jason Tatum got player options on the fifth year of their rookie deal. It was then assumed, well, everybody's going to get a fifth year option on the rookie deal going forward. And that's gone the other way since then, right? Time so out. time out. That's apple that's apples and oranges because those players were eligible for super max extension contracts. And ooh, if, ooh, if, ooh. if you can why sign- is it apples why is it apples and oranges to say that when you said that this could portend a trend and I was just pointing out that there was another time where we thought it could portend a trend and it didn't. That's all because because when you are a player who's in your who's in your first max contract and you have the super max out there, it lessens the importance of the player option. That already happened with the last CBA. That was, that's, if you, if you can, there's nobody who's turned down the super max yet. Well, so, but you could start it a year earlier. If you turn, if you have a player option on your deal, you could, you could have it start after your eighth no, season. Because you, you can sign the super max two years after your contract, as soon as you're eligible, that it doesn't actually change that. I mean, you could make more money in the ninth year of your deal. Anyway, the, the point, crap. It, the, uh, yeah, it, this is, it's anyway, my point was not about the legalistics of uh, Supermax contracts off your, on your second deal. My point was there, are, we have seen plenty of times where one contract is going to potentially lead to more things and doesn't. I think the way to look at this situation, and I do think it's, you're correct that it's an important thing for the Clippers, is that you had a situation here where Kawhi Leonard, through his actions over now seven, eight years, six, seven years, has made it very clear he wants to play in one city and really probably for one team. So he didn't have a lot of leverage to say, well, I'm going to go out on the market. I'm going to go look to play in Philadelphia where they're going to have max cap space this summer or Indiana or one of these other places where they'll have max cap space and they would love to have Kawhi Leonard on their team to play with Joel Embiid or to play with Tyrese Halliburton. But he wants to live in LA and he wants to play for the Clippers and he's had a ton of injuries. So now he gets $150 million or so guaranteed in his pocket. He gets to stay in the place he wants to be. And for a Clippers team that's got an owner that is willing to spend a ton of money, it gives them a little bit more flexibility with the second apron now in place and the restrictions that that causes to go out and have as good of a team around Kawhi Leonard as possible. And I think to your point about setting a trend, to me, the very interesting situation here is going to be what happens with Paul George. I was going to say, does, does this Paul, with his franchise? Forget the yes, lease. Yes, right. 
does Paul George, because James Harden, I think we have also seen, does not have a lot of options, right? He has pretty much consigned himself like Kawhi Leonard to being with the Clippers. And so therefore, I think he's going to get a very healthy contract this summer. I expect he's not going to get everything he would want. If Paul George, however, wants to test the market, wants to look around, he is one mm-hmm. of the most malleable, pliable, portable stars in the league. You could put him on the Sixers. He'd be an amazing fit next to Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid. You want to put him back in Indiana? Great story. Paul George goes back to the Pacers, plays with Tyrese Halliburton. Unbelievable fit with the way that team is set up. Like you can put Paul George on any team and he would fit great. So if Paul George comes to the Clippers and says, let's do an extension and it lines up with Kawhi Leonard's and it's below the max and it's not max years, then that, like you said, McMahon, the way to look at it is what does the trend say for where the Clippers are headed? And if they could get those three guys on sub-max deals, on three-year contracts, like if it lines up the same as Kawhi that way, pretty good piece of business overall for the Clippers if it works out that way. Well, regardless of what happens with Harden and Paul George, it's a good piece of business for the Clippers. You just- No question. Right. But I would be careful jumping to the conclusion that Kawhi Leonard's deal is Paul George's deal. You know, I, that, that, hey, these are the numbers, these are the terms of Kawhi, so of course it'll be the terms of Paul George's. Well, if it was that easy, <laughs> they'd both be done, right? And, you know, Paul George said last night uh, that he is very optimistic about getting something done. I'm extremely excited and happy for Kawhi reaching a deal to hopefully make him a clipper for the rest of his career. We'll see my situation when we get there. Just happy they got the deal done on his end. I know he wants to stay here, myself as well. When my time comes, we'll be ready for those conversations. Um, again, though, I just—I'm sure his the, time. His time came last July. That right. Was like they, they, they've had they've had the same amount of time to discuss with Paul George. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the Clippers' preference is clearly to sign him to an identical deal to not have to guarantee uh, the extra. A uh, couple of years into, you know, just have their timelines in sync. But if you're Paul George, like, you don't necessarily have to agree to that. He's- well, that's fine. I, I think what Bontem said was important. Uh, the, the Clippers are not without leverage because they have they play in Los Angeles, and so yeah. yes, Paul George could go back to Indiana. I, I think they'd love it. It would be terrific for Indiana. Do they think he will? I would still bet on him. Staying with the Clippers. And I think they will too. And I think they'll enter the conversations in that regard, especially because it affects the way that they can construct their team. And that's why it was important to get one of the guys to say yes. And, and by the way, I bet on James Harden staying with the Clippers. Well, not, and- not only bet. Now, it was interesting. So last night, Kawhi was asked about, first off, it was such a Kawhi answer. He was asked, why did you do three years when you could have done more? And he goes, that was the number of years. That was the answer. Why three that's- years? That was the number of years. It's like when I used to ask Rick about stuff, he'd say it was a coach's decision. It's like, that's why I asked you. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Rick Carlisle. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is, so Kawhi was also asked, well, how do exactly what we're talking about here? How do you feel that this, that your contract affects, you know, Paul and James? And have you guys talked about it? And I can't remember the verb he used. So this is not an exact quote. I can't remember if he's, we talked, we communicated, or there were conversations. He said something like, like that. And he said, I think every all three, everybody's going to stay. I'll, I'll say exactly what he said. This is from Ohm Young's sixth story. 
Uh, with the conversation that I have with them about it, I think for the most part, everybody is coming back. <laughs> so with me signing an extension, I think it gives us a chance to sign both of those players. So, you know, essentially he likes the odds, but doesn't guarantee anything. I'll, I'll say this. For the for the hard stuff, and we talked all about, hey, there's not much for market for him, doesn't have a lot of land, landing spots. You know what, though? James Harden, once again, got to where he wanted to be, and this deal has worked out exactly how he hoped it could because the Clippers are legitimate contenders. They're rolling since a really ugly start with him. They have been playing as well as anybody in the West, and it makes sense for them to go ahead and pay him. He got to a place he wanted to be, and he wanted that team to have his bird rights, and I think he's going to cash in. With the deal, I, w- I would guess that Harden's deal is going to look pretty similar to Kawhi's. Well, Harden can, even though they he had to have his full bird rights, Harden can only sign for four, only in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm sure that Harden would like to have four, but now that they've only signed Kawhi for three, the Clippers can come to the table saying three, also less than the max. You know, I'm not sure. You know. You know, I have uh, trademarked, um, stole it from a general manager, but I have trademarked the first max, the fun max. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have nicknamed the second max, which is, you know, the the one that where you can sign the super max, but, you know, a year seven, eight, nine, uh, the stress max, because that is when you're not um, sure, you know, whether the guy wants to stay, you know, whether he deserves 30% of the cap. You know, this is the zone that Pascal Siakam is in right now. This is stress max time for mm-hmm. Pascal Siakam. And you may not get it because it's stressful. And the third max, which sometimes there's three or four, depending on how you, how you structure your contracts. For pardon those guys, but go on. Is Bobby Marks has termed it the oh no max, or um, as I like to call it, let's stay together for the kids max. <laughs> because um, sometimes you get guys uh, who are, they really are not, especially with where the, the the salary cap is and the numbers, you're looking at guys going, boy, is this guy really a $57 million player? This is, um, there's certain well, players who fit, fit this description. Well, and, but here's the real thing about this Kawhi Leonard deal that could really be the thing that portends what happens around the league going forward. And it's that the second apron is working as the facsimile of the hard cap that the NBA wanted it to be. And if you look at the Clippers as a prime example of that, Steve Ballmer has more money than God, and he's willing to spend it. And he's willing to spend it for years and throw it around. And they've, they have added players and added money and done everything they could in every which way. And the CBA was designed almost exclusively to keep Steve Ballmer from doing that. And all of the rules that were put in place were very largely, if not exclusively done, to keep him from just outspending the league. and. With all the trade restrictions that are coming with the second apron, all the stuff, it's it was all prevented to keep him from just continuing to make the Clippers payroll higher and higher and higher and add whoever he wanted at whatever number it was. And the fact that Kawhi Leonard, the guy they traded Shane Gilles Alexander and a billion draft picks to get Paul George to get to come to LA, that they've essentially catered to at every step of the way while he's been with the Clippers. The fact that he signed a below max extension with the Clippers. Yeah, some of it you could say is because of his health health track record. Some of it you could say is because he didn't want to look around and go somewhere else. But some of it's also that 
they have very real issues if they're in the second apron with having the best team they could put around him. And when you look around the league at guys like you mentioned, Pascal Siakam, you look at Zach Levine, you look at DeJounte Murray, there's not robust trade markets for those guys. A big part of the reason why is that second apron, every team, whether they have the money to spend it or not, is thinking about the ramifications of being in the second apron and what it's going to do to team building and what it's going to do to their team going forward. And so that to me is the thing to really focus yes, on. But where the is, are we going to see teams agree. really looking that way Absolutely. going forward? It goes right up to the top stars in the league. But where the rubber meets the road is whether the stars are willing to sacrifice salary or the teams have to sacrifice the stars. And, the, and so now we're way early. You definitely don't take any trend out of this, but the first action, at least when it comes to the Clippers, is there may be a little bit of sacrifice from the salary. Now, granted, the guy's in his what. 30s. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of people who love to sacrifice and get 153 million. I understand, but Kawhi is in the middle of what could be one of the best seasons of his career. The Clippers could end up in the finals this year, and there's not a lot of t- times in that history where a player would leave money on the table, which is what happened. I wonder what his speech fee would be. Maybe he can make some extra money. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I would say in talking to people, uh, executives in the league, uh, and everyone is still learning and understanding this. The third salary, the third highest paid player is now a very important player on your roster. You can have two max players. Now, if one of them's on a 35% max, it complicates things a little bit, but you can have two max players on a team. But what is that third salary? Is that third salary a max salary? Is that third salary, you know, in the case of the um, the Suns, that third that third best player is Bradley Beal. He's making fifty million. Is that third salary, you know, depending on what happens? Like like right now, Jalen Brunson is the is the um, Knicks' um, second highest paid player. What if they acquire another max player in the next year? Is Jalen Brunson your third best player? That's an awesome third best. Uh, I mean, th- third not third okay. best, but third salary. Okay. Also, um, Jalen Brunson, who I I'm willing to wager will ask for an extension this summer. Yeah, he's about I, I to be getting a very large raise. I understand, but he's got two years left at this mm-hmm. in this contract. Last and one's that, a player option. Last one's okay. a player option. Okay. My point is, if your third salary player is a max player, it's got to be a guy who's playing like a max player. Well, and, and if, if, Yeah, if you have three guys who are on max contracts, you're going to run into apron trouble. Well, and and you go, you look at again. You bring up Pascal Siakam. Look at the Mavericks. Kyrie took a little less than Max, but they've got two guys that are forty million dollar players. And so, do you swing a trade for Pascal Siakam? Like, forget about whether they have the assets to get it done in the first place. That depends on the market. Do you do that knowing, hey, this guy wants a Max type of deal, and and locking yourself into a third guy in that same range? I don't know, man. How's that stress max coming up for Luca? I mean, he's going to get the super max. I mean, listen, but Luca is the kind of player you don't. There's not stress there. Yeah, there's the stress a, there is going to be: is he willing to take the super max, or does he become the first guy to say, "I don't want to yeah, be here if the team isn't know. good enough"? I, you I mean, know, Luka's I think already on, he's on a he's on a a fun super max right now. Right, but yeah, that's right. But it still can be higher. There's still a oh, super no, max. Luca, like. It's like, do you think Luke is going to turn down the player option for the last year of his contract? He's going to get like a 20-something well, million dollars. that's the thing. Like, you know, James Harden doesn't like to talk about this stuff, but I would love to hear a James Harden TED talk for NBA players about turning down 
a max contract because that's what happened when he was in Brooklyn. He, you know, he got offered, he got offered a $200 million extension and he turned it down and he is, you know, suffering. He is making a lot less than that now because of that decision. He had his reasons why he turned it down, but I'd love to hear his explanation to other players about being careful with that decision. And that's what the NBA is trying to get to. They're trying to get to guys to never really restrict, reach unrestricted, unrestricted free agency. And now, even if players are not reaching unrestricted free agency, they would love for them to not reach unrestricted free agency and also take potentially less than the max. Well, I think is- even more than that, they're just trying to cut costs. That, that I think, is the biggest, the bigger thing even than worrying about free agency. It's because the last few years we've seen because the cap got flattened out for so long. It, I don't I think, think I, I don't think it's cutting costs because the players are guaranteed 51% of the salaries. If, if for well, every dollar, the players get 51 cents. So the, the, the cost for salaries are going to be are going to be what they're going to be. Yes, I but think, they don't. Yes, I think but they I'm sorry, the Indiana ahead. Pacers don't want four max players on the L.A. Clippers. They want a chance to get one of those max players. Well, that's, that's what, what I meant that's by yeah. I mean, not that when I said cutting costs, I meant that's what I meant was they want to cap, they want to cap the amount of money that teams are spending on salary. That's what they're doing. That's what that that was the whole point of the second apron, and that's you know that that to me has been between the trade market and this extension, we've very quickly seen teams looking at that second apron very warily and saying. And and frankly, looking at the Suns and how their roster is a mess after their top three guys, because in part, it'd be fair to Phoenix, when they made the Kevin Durant trade last summer, it was under the old rules. And nobody, frankly, like I remember when I got the CBA and my jaw dropped at the second apron and some of the stuff that was put in that was unexpected. And for a team like Phoenix that in February said, hey, we're going all in on Kevin Durant. Matt Ishby is going to spend money. It's going to be fine. We'll just build up around it. All of a sudden, it was like, whoa, our team is stuck. We can't really do the stuff we were going to do. Now they have Bradley Beal. They're trying to do it with the three, three stars, and they got very minimal yeah, stuff one of the them reasons as a result. They, one of the reasons they went for Beal is because they looked at their situation and said, my gosh, if we dance around this line, we're going to have a hard time building it. So let's just not dance around it and jump in with both feet. And we have a better chance with three stars than we do with two stars and trying to figure out how to stay out of it. So, uh, but anyway, to be, to be continued, I, I have to, I would love to know again what James Harden thought when he saw that contract. I'm sure James Harden would take a contract that's three years and 150 million, even if it's below the max, whether or not he gets that with Kawhi having set the bar, that's another thing to watch. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. We saw another contract extension. It's very rare that we talk contract extensions in January, but uh, here we are. And this one was another very interesting record-setting one from Eric Spolstra, who was in the last year of his contract. I believe he was making about $8 million. By the way, I think the last time the Heat announced or our contract extension became known for Eric Spolstra was maybe like two or three contracts ago. They used to give Spolster like three-year extensions, and then they just stopped announcing them. The same thing with Greg Popovich. He would get extensions, and they would never be announced. But in the wake of the Monty Williams deal, which changed the bar for coaches, Monty got, um, what was it, uh, six and... Uh, 78. 78. Greg Popovich, very shortly after that, it became known about his extension. 
they didn't announce the terms, but they announced the extension and then the terms became known. And the same, uh, Woj comes out with, with Eric Spolstra's contact extension, eight years, 120 million, $15 million a year. So it comes in above Monty and below Popovich. A total value. <laughs> the interesting thing is the eight years part of it. It's I have no idea what Greg Popovich contracts have looked like over the years, but it's probably one of the longest contracts ever given to a head coach. And also it was, it was complete it was a little uncertain whether Spolster wanted to remain as the coach or if he had interest in moving into the front office when Pat Riley eventually decides to retire. And this, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, ensures he'll be a coach. Um, also, obviously big money. And all the coaches in the league were smiling. In fact, I saw Ty Lu after the game uh, yesterday, and he they had just won. They're you know they're playing well right now. I think they're fifteen and three or something like that. Sixteen and three in their last nineteen games. They got Kawhi locked up, and they had a comfortable win over the Raptors. They didn't play great, but they they were able to get the win. And um, he was walking into the press conference. And he said, "Hey, how's it going?" And I go, "He said he said, hey, how you doing?'" I go, "Not as good as you." And he said, "None of us are doing as good as Spo." Yeah, which was. Ty's little <laughs> little wink wink that like uh, I know my day's coming. Hey, um, second apron does not apply to Ty Lue's contract. That's, that's true. Sure. So over the summer, um, shortly after Monty and Pop got their deals, I was with Team USA in Abu Dhabi, and uh, here I had Eric Spolster, who I knew was going into the last year of his contract, Steve Kerr, who was going into the last year of his contract, uh, and Ty Lue, who has. Uh, one year left after this year, the uh, the Clippers had an option in this contract. They picked it up. I believe before the season started, they had some contract extension talks with Ty Lue. They were not able to reach terms. I don't think it was like an issue, but, you know, again, it's two years left. But, um, you know, the uh, the price of poker just went up because if uh, Eric Spolstra gets $15 million, everybody's who has a good resume is getting more. And Ty Lue has a great resume and is a great coach. Steve Kerr really wouldn't talk to me on the record about it. And, you know, his situation has become more complicated with the way the Warriors are playing. He is in the last year of his contract, though. But if Eric Spolster is getting 15... Ask Jonathan Kaminga what he thinks about Steve Kerr's contract. Yeah. yeah ask him about what sort of faith he has in that. Yeah. Um, but even other coaches, like, you know, um, a guy like Mike Brown, who, you know, is in the second year with the, with the Kings. I think it was a three-year contract he signed initially coming out. You know, we'll see what the Caps with the Kings, but like, What's Mike Brown's value as a coach if you're going to extend him after the season? You know, well, um, I think we're missing the biggest story with this, though. The Miami Heat are absolutely doomed. Monty Williams gets his <laughs> fat contract. Have you seen the standings? Pop. I have. Biggest biggest salary for a coach in NBA history. Have you seen the standings? They actually played uh, on Wednesday night, and it was the worst game in NBA history. In the 77-year history of the league, there have never been two teams that late into the season who had that few wins. Hold on. I'm going to give you a breathalyzer update. I'm going to give you a breathalyzer update on those. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, oh they're winning percentage. They got to be legal. Oh, still legal. Barely. That that one win put them over the edge for a little bit, but they're back in legal territory. 0.079. And the, I mean, uh, think about this for a second. Temps, they the, got to be the, legal. <laughs> the, the Pistons played. The Pistons got one win in their last 35 games. And it was in a game when a team traded it's one of its three best players and was missing like four rotation players. And they uh, won by two at home on the second night of a back-to-back -back for the other team that had traded the came play. right down to the right down to the wire. Right to the end. Like they're that close to 35 losses in a row. I, I do think that the Heat probably had a little bit better in the personnel 
uh, area. Than, I think they're a little bit better across the board than the I, Pistons. Let's just Eric put it Spolstra. that way. I'll say this about Eric Spolstra. He has had some great players, obviously, to come through Miami. No doubt about it. Superstar players. And uh, those banners are up there because of it. But what I'll say about Spo, and I don't think there's much debate, he always gets the most out of his team. Whether his team has, like some years, he's done the best he possibly can and they finished seventh. And that was a great coaching job. Right. And that's why he's so valuable. He is undoubtedly that, that, that value of a coach. He's probably, in all honesty, you're never going to say a coach is more valuable than a star player, but he is probably the most valuable coach in the league. When you look at what he is able to manufacture with that team, I think that he got a bargain. Listen, I thought Adrian, I was listening to Adrian was talking to Ramona on his pod today and I was listening to it. I thought he said it perfectly, where if you have a rebuilding team, a team that's on the way up or a championship level team, you could say Spo is the best option for any of those teams because he's done all those different things, right? Like a lot of times you say a certain coach fits a certain kind of team or a certain kind of style or a certain kind of point in where they are in their arc. But like you said, Eric has won and been successful at every stage of what you're trying to do. And he's, they've done an unbelievable, like everybody talks about the pipeline of all the undrafted players that the Heat have had be successful. The reason that works is because Eric Spolstra is putting those guys in positions to succeed and giving them opportunities and buying into all that stuff. It's hard. That's all hard stuff to do. And he's been the architect of all that stuff. And it's why that team has had so much talent go through there. And it's why they've been such a, a dominant franchise for so long. Well, and homegrown Heat players don't tend to fare better or even well. Right. right. Not a lot of not a lot of Jonathan Kaminga situations either. <laughs> That's true. That's absolutely true. Although, you know, spoke can be but can be it, it can be tough to play for him too. He's he can Oh, be my my point was not that. My point was that there's not external complaining about what's going on. It is a the, the heat run a ship where this this is the way. This is what we do. And Ask, you can either get on the on the on the boat or you can be thrown off the boat. Hashtag heat culture. Also, let's not have any boat references when he's still in pain. I did bring the boat up on as a slight jest to our guy. Yeah. Uh, the good news is as I've, I've been able to resume sneezing, my body didn't sneeze. I didn't sneeze for seven days. My body knew don't sneeze. So I've, continue, I've begun nature is healing. Big um, man, we've gone from windy sleep updates to windy health updates. It's good. It's good shift. Sneeze the- I, want updates. A, I want a windy dope update. <laughs> no dope. I'm, I'm living a clean life. A clean Straight life. edge. <laughs> there, there, there may be our coworkers who were willing to open up their cabinets to me while I was here in LA, but I, I am living a clean life. Speaking of guys who might get paid as coaches, how about friend of the pod, Will Hardy? Ooh. In the Utah Jazz. Man, dude, this has got to be the most unlikely 12 and 4 run in NBA history. They were 7 and 16 and had lost five of six with all five losses coming by double figures before this. And one of those coming by 50 freaking points. So there's yeah, is... one banged up Rockets team that won like 20 games is probably in the ballpark too. But I mean, there's not many, there's no, not many contenders. And 12 and four though. It's, it's one thing to win three or four in a row. This is a, over the span of a, a month plus that they have. And you know, there's some really good wins there. Like last well, night they spanked. Look at the last three. Well, so Billy, so it's a very, Milwaukee, it's a... Denver. It's a very cumbersome statistic, and I won't even read it to you because I'll get lost in it. But let's just put it this way. They have won their last three games against 
Philly, Milwaukee, and Denver. Mm -hmm. And no team with their record has ever beaten three teams with those three teams' record in a row in NBA history. I won't get into the percentages and all this nonsense. It gets cumbersome. Just know that this stretch is historic in terms of beating those teams. And, you know, the Philly was without Embiid. Um, uh, Milwaukee without Dame, but still, it, it's a month-plus yes. sample size. Now, I can tell you the people in the Jazz organization are obviously very happy about the way this team is playing. They are very, I would say, appreciative of the buy-in from the players, the effort. They like this team. They, you know, they, there's obviously a lot of things to be happy about. They're they're not they're not drunk with ha- with happiness. They're not like looking at this. Hey, twelve and four. We've got everything figured out. This team's on its way. Big picture wise, and and Will said something along these same lines last night in his post game. This twelve and four run does not change the franchise's big picture outlet, which is a way of saying that you still you have to pay Danny Ainge prices, but they are still prepared to be sellers in the trade market. Yeah, I think the guy near the top of that list will be Kelly Olenek in the last year of his contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, stretch shooting big, who uh, can do a lot of things, um, very versatile. I th- think there's a good chance he'll be available. One guy that will be interesting is Chris Dunn. Now, there's a there's a number of reasons why, you know, one of the things that's happened in this stretch, the Jazz have been getting it done at both ends. They were one of the worst offensive and defensive teams um, through mid-December. In this last, what's that? It's a bad combination. That's true. They are nine and two in their last 11, but if you go back even, they're even better than that. They've been the top 10 in both in that stretch. And uh, they really are getting after it off turnovers. But one of the things that's happening is that Chris Dunn, Chris, Will Hardy moved Chris Dunn in as a starting point guard, and he moved John Collins to center and, you know, was bringing Walker Kessler off the bench because Walker was coming back from the elbow injury. Now, Walker is known as one of the best defensive centers in the league, but, and Collins is not. But that particular lineup has been very quick and agile, and they create turnovers, and they run like crazy off those turnovers, and they've been scoring all kinds of points in transition off turnovers. And Chris Dunn is a guy who's bounced around the league, been a journeyman. I think he would have value. I'm not sure where they're at with him, but they're you know invested in some other guards. You know They're invested in Colin Sexton, big money, Keontae George they drafted. So Chris Dunn's... Sexton's medium money. Jordan Clarkson also medium money, balloon payment this year, but... It's pretty close to mid-level the next couple of years. I'd be but, surprised if they traded Jordan. I, I I don't think I don't think they're going to trade Larry Markkinen. I know that that's been discussed a little bit. I don't think he's going to get traded unless it's a blown away offer. I'd be surprised if they traded Clarkson. I do think Olenek could get moved. I do think it's possible they might listen on Chris Dunn as, I, as well. I think they'd listen on any. I've been told they will listen on anybody on the roster. The way I would describe it with Markkinen is he's not untouchable but it's going to take one of your untouchables to get them. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like I, I think the odds of marketing getting moved are extremely slim just because I think the ask, asking price would be astronomical. Yeah, um, all we got to do is look at what they did last year, right? They're going to trade the the ancillary parts. Like Chris Dunn, I think I'll be very surprised if Chris Dunn isn't on the team in a month. That, to be clear, is not me having any knowledge of what the Jazz are going to do. But Chris Dunn's a veteran player who is playing as well as he has in years. And if they can get a couple second round picks or an interesting young player for him, there's no reason for him not to move Chris Dunn. If they decide they want to have him around long term and be part of their crew, then they obviously have the ability to do that. But whether it's a Linux or Chris Dunn or 
any any of those kind of guys who are expiring contracts and on their team, that's what they did with Malik Beasley and with D'Angelo Russell and or not D'Angelo Russell, Mike Conley last year when they moved him at the deadline, when they had a chance to so Vance talked about a bunch, they could have made a push to be in the top 10 in the West easily last year. And they said, we're going to get whatever we can for these guys and we're going to make sure we're I, best I, positioned. I, I, I would not say they said we're going to get whatever we can for these guys. I, I, I don't I don't think that's what they said. I think they said that they felt like there was enough value in that top four protected. I forget the year on the Lakers pick. Yeah, I took sure. I shouldn't. I didn't mean like they sold them for nothing, but like they had a choice to either like, hey, we can keep Mike Conley. Maybe we finish ninth or 10th, get in the play in, or we can get a first round pick, even though Mike Conley's playing really well and fits our team great. And we like where his veteran leadership. Or we can get a first round pick for down the road that will help us out a lot more in the future. Right. right. This, like the they're looking is, forward on these all these decisions was my what I was. The headline to say. is the Jazz are playing great, but that doesn't mean that they're not gonna be sellers. That's the headline. And I'd yeah. say the same thing about the Bulls, by the way. The Bulls are playing well. Zach they've three and oh since Zach Levine Oof. came back. I don't the know Bulls, if I'd say the same about the Bulls. Well, Zach Levine's still available, is my point. Well, yeah, but I I mean, like we've talked about. The, bu- the Bulls would be a lot better off if they had the Danny Ainge approach to their team. Well, I agree with you. I'm just... I think the Bulls are the opposite and are trying to find every reason to not well, tear their team apart. I understand. What I'm saying is, is that they're 3-0 since Zach came back. They've been playing really well. He moved back into the starting lineup. Zach Levine is still available, is what I'm saying. You know, sure. You know? Sure. Uh, the one guy who I don't think is going to be available in the short term here is going to be Marcus Smart because um, Chris Paul leads the league in hand injuries. I think he's had 11 recorded injuries to his hands over the over the years. I think he's had three or four surgeries. I think I read five to his left hand, six to his right, but even as vice versa. Uh, Marcus Smart, a few like a week or so ago, had to have pieces of the floor taken out of his hand. McMahon, was that a home game or was that a road game where he had, he dove on the floor and it pulled up some of the court and he had to have splinters from the hardwood removed from his hand. And I'll remind you that last year, Marcus Smart had to have pieces of glass removed from his hand that had been in his hand for like five years from when he punched the the, the the picture on the wall when he was with the Celtics and like missed some games. So he's had pieces of glass moved from, moved from his hand. He just had pieces of wood removed from his hand. And now he just suffered another hand injury that's going to keep him out a minimum of six weeks. This was a strange one. I, I was This was the game I covered in Dallas the other night. And he thinks it actually might have happened early in the game when Kyrie swiped down and they called a foul and then Mavs challenge and it, it was overturned. But he thinks it might have happened then. But he was cooking and he hit a three in the third quarter and he throws the you know three fingers up to celebrate. And his right ring finger was a zigzag. I mean, it was it was pretty gruesome. And so they pull him from the game. You know, he puts ice on it, then a splint. He's sitting on the bench after the game. He's in great spirits, but he's he knows like eh, this ain't great. Like you know, we'll oh no, it's time for another MRI. Nobody gets worse news from MRIs than the Grizzlies. This was a rupture of the proximal interphalangeal joint central slip, which means his finger was really screwed up. <laughs> it took eight impressive reading. What's impressive uh, reading? <laughs> I'm not sure the pronunciation was completely accurate on that interphalangeal. You get points. You get points. But and I mean, look, you already knew it was a lost season for the Grizzlies. To their credit, 
they kicked the Mavs' butts up and down the floor sure the other night. The, the you know about 24 hours after finding out that John Morant was going to need uh, season-ending shoulder surgery, he got that surgery today. It was announced as successful, which I think that is the uh, 8,438th straight successful surgery to an NBA player. But so you knew Jaws out for the season. You know Stephen Adams is out for the season. Brandon Clark's trying to come back, but at this point, it's like for who, for what? Marcus Smart already missed 17 games. Now it's going to miss another. I didn't look at the schedule number, but a bunch. You know, it's it, it's a lost season for the Grizzlies, but it's 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 a weird deal. It's, it's a gap year for them because I they still have a chance to be awfully good next year. Like they still have one of the best young cores. They still have. You know, the, hopefully Steve Adams is back and Marcus Smart's healthy. Then they've still got a pretty good starting five. But like this year, it's it's also it's a bad year to be bad. It's an unfortunate year to have an unfortunate year because the draft's <laughs> not good. More Hoop Collective podcast after this. Well, one of the teams having an unfortunate year is the Golden State Warriors. Who, All the way below the Utah Jazz in the standings now. Who would have right. uh, who would have thunk it? Not the Jazz, not uh, the Warriors. I was going to say not the Warriors. <laughs> so the Warriors just completed a home stand where they went two and five. And I understand they didn't have Draymond Green, but um, they needed to make hay on this home stand. And uh, in the last two games of the home stand, which were against the Pelicans and who they play last night? Why am I having a brain fart? The, uh, the they, last they, played... night. they lost by a cool thirty six. The Raptors was the night before. Raptors. They... 15 they got booed in both games and they Steph- didn't lead they didn't they didn't lead in either game which hasn't yeah. happened for you know the warriors were pretty bad for a long time it still hasn't happened in 20 years i tell you what man thank goodness they managed to squeak out a win over the pistons yeah that they were behind they were in big trouble that. in that game they yeah. were they took steph scoring eight straight points in the final two minutes to put that game away they were losing with under two minutes to go i believe I mean, they're playing, abysmal, they're playing abysmal basketball with all kinds of like drama. And, you know, Steph last night, uh, uh, let me let me tell you exactly what he said. I don't want to misquote the fella, but uh, asked about like essentially, hey, for the trade deadline, does do some <laughs> does some furniture need to be moved around here? It's pretty evident that if things stay the same, that's the definition of insanity, right? Keep doing the same thing, but expecting different results. I mean, you know, hey, Mike Dunleavy, <laughs> you want to be a GM? Here you go, baby. I don't think it's feasible for the Warriors to do something to the trade deadline that's going to change their fortune. Their chance of salvaging this season is to do it from within with the guys they have. Now, if you say that ship has sailed, that Wiggins isn't going to be that player, that Draymond can't do it, that Clay is over the hill, like you may end up being right saying all that. I don't think there's a trade out there that they're going to be able to make midseason. The other thing is, I'm not sure. Yeah, they've got Chris Paul they can trade. I'm not sure they're in a position to take on more salary after this year, regardless, even if the trade is great. Well, no, uh, but that's to me, that's not the, the the move needs to be to start losing money, future money, and reposition this team for the future. Like that, I think they, like can, that I think they has, can do that. I think they can do that in the summer. I'm not sure they can. I mean, to so, me... Define repositioning because that, that the the re part sounds like a rebuild when you've got a thirty five year old all time great. Well, listen to me. If I'm the Warriors, between now and the trade deadline, I'm moving Andrew Wiggins. I'm getting out of the Andrew Wiggins business. 
Somebody has to take him, dude. Well, I think I think there are teams that would take Andrew Wiggins. To me, I think Andrew Wiggins is an interesting buy low opportunity for buy, a younger team. Buy low in July. You try to get him. Try to get out of him. Try to do something with, between. Well, them. you can, listen. Here's the thing. The Warriors, like we've talked about before, the problem with this Warriors team is they have all these like guys, right? You can't play Wiggins and Kaminga together because of the re- the way the rest of their team is set up. Because you can't play Clay and Wiggins and Kaminga together because then none of them can dribble. And then you've got Steph out there handling the ball with nobody else. Now, maybe you could argue if Draymond comes back and you have Draymond and Steph, and then you have those three guys, maybe you could do that. But to me, I'd be trying to get out of the Wiggins money. I'd be trying to reposition this roster so that going into the summer, I can rework it around Steph and try to I'd be playing these young guys as much as possible. I'd be seeing what I have in them figuring out which of them I think are true building blocks going forward. That should be what the goal is for the rest of the season. Because we could sit here and we could say, well, yeah, you know, the Warriors should just keep running into the wall and maybe they'll break through it and everything will just return to the where it was four years ago. I don't think that's realistic. I'm not saying they need to tank and try to lose every game. But uh, to me, I would be, if you, I would I don't be deciding think between Wiggins and Kaminga. I don't think I don't think it's an either or. I think here's the well, thing. I think it is an either or by the fact that you can't play those two guys together. It's been proven statistically and on the court in the way that has gone. So to me, you've got to choose between them. Okay. First off, Steph's last 15 games is he's been in a little bit of a slump. He wouldn't be a slump for most players, but for him, it's a slump. His three point shooting has dipped. His field goal percentage has dipped. His scoring has dipped. There could be a number of different reasons for that, but one of them is probably that Draymond Green hasn't been around. And Draymond Green helps unlock Steph Curry. Steph Curry would have been a Hall of Famer without him, but Draymond Green helps unlock him. They've also, since Draymond Green went out, been a bottom 10 defensive team. So They spell defense with Draymond too. I understand that, but there isn't another guy that they're going to get who's going to be better than that. So so you get Draymond back, and you have him start running with Steph again and hope you can get Steph back to borderline MVP level. And then you try to have Draymond help your defense. And yeah, if that means you don't play Wiggins as much, okay. But, uh, you know, again, that means you still play Pajemski and Trace Jackson Davis. And you, you'll st- I'm not saying you only play the old guys. I'm not saying you pretend it's the 2002 finals again and say, okay, guys, let's go back out there like we're playing the Celtics. But I'm not sure that there's a deal out there that is going to change the fact that they need Draymond and Steph to be really good together. Like, that's not going to change. Well, they're just and, not that good of a team. That's I know, but the they're problem. Playing, but they're playing Kaminga minutes now, and it's not leading to wins either. It's not like it's not like playing well, Kaminga. Is, well, I'm is, not. Yeah, I'm not saying that trading Andrew Wiggins is something that's going to lead to them necessarily becoming a championship level team. But I don't think that should be what the next month should be about. Like to me, I if I'm them, I'm looking at all this money that's coming for Wiggins in the future, and I look at it as a negative asset that if I could get out of for free in terms of not having to send out draft equity with it, I'd be trying to do that. I'd be trying to get out from under that money. I I mean, me personally, if it was me, I would be trying to trade Draymond Green personally. Now the Warriors are not going to do that. I don't think, but I would be, I'd be looking at it as I don't trust Draymond Green. I don't trust Andrew Wiggins. If I can get out from under those contracts, I have then no contracts on the books this summer. And I would have Steph and I could rebuild around him then. 
I, I think, think is realistic here on a is doing podcast? something with Wiggins and doing something with Kevon Looney, who has also think- not been good. And you have Trace Jackson Davis, and then you play Draymond at center. Everything that you're saying makes sense. And I think it's an impressive presentation to the Warriors front office. I think in the situation they're in, you ride it till the till the wheels fall off. Well, the wheels are falling off. So what do you do? Okay. You just you just drive well, off the road? Well, well, you don't he, tell me tell me the deal that trade that, that keeps the wheels on. I think the only way to do it is to try Let me ask the, this. Their teams come up in in the Pascal Siakam discussion. Do you think that moves the needle much for them? I think, think no. they can do better than a Warriors trade. I think they could do better if they're truly trying to. I just don't understand what the point is for the Warriors to doing that. Because again, their days of spending a trillion dollars are over too. I was like, going to say they are they are the world's most expensive lottery team right now. Yeah, that's right. And look, last um, year, let's let's look, like we've back. talked a lot. Yeah. We've talked a lot about the Lakers not being good enough, right? And how the Lakers had a summer where they went and basically ran it back with the same team when they weren't good enough to be even really compete with Denver, despite it being the greatest sweep in the history of sweeps for the losing team. The the Warriors played the Lakers the round before, and it was not that competitive. They the, the, the Lakers controlled that series, and they won the series, and the Warriors barely escaped with their lives from the Kings series in the first round, right? And, this, and, we're, and we're looking at a long... Might not. If, that's uh, right. Fox didn't hurt his finger. That's right. So we're looking at a long sample now, year and a half sample, where this is nowhere near a championship level team with all these guys that are now in their mid thirties. So again, yes, you could just ride the, you know, keep going down the track and hope that like a time machine shows up, or you could start the process of re-augmenting the roster because you have a very limited window where Steph is going to be this good. What if Barkley just Bob sitting Myers. here doing nothing is like you said earlier, it's the definition of insanity. I, I mean, that's the thing. They've been a competitive team for 10 years. Nine, well, I guess they had the gap there, but they've competed oh, for, for 10, 10 years. years. For 10 yeah. years. That's pretty damn good. Oh, and no, taking away no one's, and, yeah, no one's arguing that. Yeah. And so if this is the end, this is the end. So but so what but wait, so like is the is, if this is the end, you just just like right off in the sunset and like, no. yeah, we're if we no, roll off think, the tracks, then fine. Uh, my point is, I'm not sure there's a deal that they can make at the deadline that changes their 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 strategy by trying to work with what they've got. Bring Draymond back, try to get some. You know, they started the season off well. They played a they played they had a little stretch in December where they played well. There are patches there that they can that they can stitch together. I agree that it may not work. I agree that we may get to April and say, well, that 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 didn't work. And so then, say goodbye to Steve Kerr, trade Andrew Wiggins. Say goodbye to Clay Thompson. Reach well, retro I mean, the whole team. I mean, if you're saying goodbye to Steve Kerr, then I mean, what are you? Are you like saying goodbye to Steph Curry then too? I was going to say, like you're talking about Bonham's presentation in the front office. Present this to Steph Curry. That I'm not talking about tanking. Steph Curry's going to say, "When's Draymond starting? When's he coming back?" That's what he's going to say. Yeah, but I. But that's the thing. I'm not talking about tanking. What I'm saying is the current iteration of the roster. It's not working, and it hasn't been working for a long time. So to me, just like praying it's going to be fixed is not the solution. Like Kevon Looney has been bad. To me, okay, I'd be so trying give, to upgrade give, the Kevon Looney spot. Give me the one trade. example. I mean, give me the trade. Well, I I mean, I don't really want to sit here and play fake trade that then becomes aggregated. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, oh, I, we wow. can. Those mean aggregators. Woo. Bontemps doesn't want to share his big brain because those mean aggregators. Well, again. okay. I just, I'm I don't even, like, actually, if we say that, it will actually, become the Warriors are discussing trading for X. That's all. I know. 
I'm just, I'm not expecting you to actually say, I'm just saying like, I'm not sure that's the solution. I'm not sure that there's trades that are going to well, be. But I, right. I don't think it's a solution to make the Warriors win the title this year. I think it's about the process of setting up what you're going to be able to do this summer to try to get back to being at that level in the future. I, I think Wiggins has next to zero value. And I think Looney has next to zero value. Well, again, that's why to me, if I can, I'm not trading draft picks to get rid of Andrew Wiggins, but if I could find a move where some team would say, hey, Andrew Wiggins two years ago was rebounding like a madman in the finals and he's on a decent contract going forward. If I'm a smaller market team that like, hey, I, if I can so why get this guy in here. Say, so why don't the Warriors say that? That's my point. Well, because, I, to, because again, you have this situation where Andrew Wiggins and Jonathan Kaminga are two like players that can't play together. I know, but Kaminga playing doesn't lead to wins. Wiggins playing well, has led to wins. I mean, in the past, but my point is, I what I'm saying is I would I think one of the main decisions I think they have to make right now, my point is, I think they have to make a choice on those two players. You ask, what should they do between now and the trade deadline? I think that's a choice they should make. Okay, if you're well, going to pay Jonathan Kaminga this summer, you should try to move Wiggins now. If Wait, you don't saying, believe you want to pay Jonathan Kaminga, you should try to use him as a chip to make your team better. You're saying move Wiggins like the Hawks move John Collins. Yes. Find a team willing to take him. First. Yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, yes, basketball in return, and Tell give yourself flexibility salary wise this summer. Sell that trade to Steph Curry. Yeah, <laughs> well, the, the the team isn't good. Like I again, I know, we're, but we're again, not talking okay. about you. You are right, and you could end up being dead right in April. But my point is, I've been around long enough, and you say, just pray that it gets better. Well, I'm telling you, I have seen teams that look like they're in trouble in January. Figure stuff out, and they look different in April. And I think, and I, and I, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but I think that's the, out of the bad options, I think that's the best one. Do you think they're a top six roster in the West? <laughs> they may not be. <laughs> they may not be. May not have a better roster than the Jazz right now. I think they're a top twelve roster, and then and standings indicate that. I'll just put it this way: when and it's a, it's a little bit unfair when Steph's playing like an MVP, the clouds are pushed away a little bit. He's not playing like an MVP right no, now. All Steph I mean, has he was playing like an ridiculous. MVP, they were a 500 team. That's it's not, not like they were. It's true. not like they were nine and one. When this season started, before Draymond started getting ejected, they they were looking okay. Okay. Well, I mean, I mean it's better I mean, than trading. I don't even think that's really Wiggins accurate. For a second round pick, you know, at this point, you can trade Wiggins for a second round pick in July. Um, I'm not. Again, I'm not sure you can do that in July. The like, Warriors have never been. I'm. I'm looking. Let's see. Okay, they started out five and one, and, and they lost six or seven in a row. I'm trying to find the last time they were more than a game or two above 500. It hadn't happened. They started five and one. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, okay, yes. Like again, I'm not like I said. You're you're framing this as me saying they should tank. I don't think that's the case. I'd be trying to make moves to improve the roster. Well, if you're saying you're trying to do a John that. Collins trade, that's a tank. That's a that's a that's not a tank. Well, trade, but, but that's, that's one. Tank. But again, it's one specific. That's one specific thing. Like you could then do other things around that. But to me, they have they have a clear choice to make on the Wiggins Kaminga thing. Like that's a choice active, that they need to make. You have to be an active participant in your own rescue. You know, the other thing about a five and one start, that means they're 12 and 19 since then. Yes. I mean, this is a bad basketball team. And Draymond, who's one of their most important players, has been gone for almost all of them. 
Uh, he has not been suspended for 31 games. No, but he's been Stop it. he's been gone for he's been 17. gone for a lot of those games. But again, like part of the thing that we have to be talking about here is he you cannot just expect him to play the final 45 games for all sorts of different reasons. I, I, there's a lot of things that I can't expect, including that they will continue on this track. Things can possibly change. The Warriors with Draymond okay. in the in the in the lineup this year are seven and eight. No, I There's I got it. I got it. I'm not saying Brian's got crazy. it, but it uh, but the choice is there is no choice but to do nothing and no. just tie I, yourself to the mast. I don't think any of them are good choices. I think this is the best choice that they've got. Here's what I would say. Let's go back to June when Mike Dunleavy traded Jordan Poole at the time, and people were like, "Man, Jordan Poole." Trade him right now. Like, couldn't his value go up? Are you sure you want to do this now? What happened since then? Jordan Poole has not played well. His right. value has only gone down. Imagine if Jordan Poole was on this team instead of Chris Paul. Okay. So that is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the Andrew Wiggins situation. If you decide that, hey, you listen, could argue our that best maybe path they forward, have traded Jordan Poole, that maybe they should have moved on from Draymond, but those decisions were already made. Well, I I mean, again, sure, you can do that. My point is right now, like they've got choices to make on Looney. In my opinion, they've got choices to make on Wiggins. Like, that's what I'd be trying to do. And if you think, hey, maybe the path forward is you sit down and say, look, we as a group think that our best path is we have more than what we've shown and we can maybe do some stuff on the margins. And like these guys can play better and can make a run. Or maybe you say, you know, I don't think this is going to work. But if we do, I mean, look, sort of like what the Lakers did last year. I mean, the Lakers didn't bring in superstar players. They re-augmented their roster. They sent out a player. <laughs> okay, they sent out a player. But the point is, they didn't. They didn't like go from having Russell Westbrook on the team to four All Stars. No, but they played All Star defense after they made moves to change their roster. Yes, but that Lakers team wasn't the team that won the championship. You know, the but this team before. isn't the team that won the championship. We have an 18-month statistical evidence that they're not anywhere near that level of team. Well, look, they're not going to win it this year anyway. They're trying to make the best of it. You want the truth. Well, you know, that's just, Well, that's nobody just thought the Lakers are going to be in the Western Conference Finals. And they February. really weren't that close to winning it either. Hold on, dude. That was Wow. An admission. Both things, again, once again, both hey, things can be true. Right off on that bronze. It, 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 it can be. <laughs> <laughs> I, you guys, I have to. I've been at two Laker games this week, and I haven't yet glimpsed up at the at the banner. I, oh, last been, night hey, at the Clipper game, the banner was. I got to look he, at the banner. He he's been at two Lakers games. Why he's got those purple and gold glasses back on, baby? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Brian really doesn't want to make a want the Warriors to make a trade, so they don't surpass the Lakers in the, the all standings. Got to keep them behind them. You're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> Right, I would I would be very surprised if the Warriors just stand pat and do nothing over the next month. That's I guess how it that ends. Sounds, it seems like Steph Curry feels the same way. Yeah, he certainly hopes the same way. You have to be an active participant in your own rescue. Well, and sometimes that means actively changing the roster. Thank yeah. you for listening to Hoop Collective Podcast. Thank That's you to Jackson, our producer. Thank you to Bon Temps. Thank you to McMahon. Thank you for listening. And we will talk to you next week. I have one more boat joke to get in. But <laughs> Adios, amigos. How do you say boat in Spanish? Uh, como se dice boat? Uh, no sé. Hold on. Let me look it up. I should know this. Boat. I should know it too. I'm annoyed. I can't think of it. Boat in Espanol. Oh, it looks like it is bote. <laughs>
Oh, El Barco, El Barco. La Lancha, a lot, of, a lot of different options there. El Barco. Adios, amigos, and good luck on your next trip on old El Barco. Oh.